Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spiro. Today, our guest, Dr. Jill Tanzi. Great story. Um, she is a fee for service dentist. Dropped some plans. We talk about how she dropped them and what happened. One was 42% of her practice, the other was 13% of her practice. You do the math, that's over half. And what it meant to her and her patients and their patient care. But most importantly, she's in charge of the Alliance of Independent Dentists. She's currently the president. And one of the founding members, it's in Massachusetts, and that's going to be a national organization. And it's uh, about dentists owning dental practices, not private equity. And uh, super, super knowledgeable, very soft-spoken, but very sharp, very bright. I always like talking to Jill. Uh, we got introduced a while back when they were talking about the question two that came up on the Massachusetts uh, ballot in it's a loss ratio, which makes dental insurance companies provide 83% of their collected premiums to direct patient care. So it's a big win for dentistry, and I'm hoping that we see this happen more often. But the website, which will be live shortly, is www.dentistalliance.org, dentistsingularalliance.org. You can find her. You can reach her. She puts all her information on the show. As always, the De Fee for Service Dentist podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach's very excited to announce their first major improvement in fluoride var varnish treatments. It's no longer alcohol or resin. Instead, patients will want the treatment delivered with a mucoadhesive dimethicone gel, which leaves a smooth, silky, and labricious feel. No more grit. Contact Kettenbach today for more details, 877-532-2123, or visit KettenbachUSA.com. As always, if you like the episode, please click like, share it with your friends. It's on YouTube. Subscribe. All those good things help us continue to grow and share and spread the message. One of the things that Jill talks about is started listening to the podcast, and it gave her great inspiration to move forward so one of our big success stories in my opinion if you don't like it please reach out to me tell me about it let me do what we can do to make a better product for all you people to benefit from as always have a great day appreciate you all thank you my name is drew burns and i'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy we believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country. 
because we invested ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today, our guest, Dr. Jill Tanzi. Jill and I met a while back, her and Christine Grazioso, who goes by Love Peace Online, because she's a nice girl. So um, we met and we talked. We did a live thing on on our Facebook group and the fee-for-service group. And when they were talking about getting this alliance of, or of independent dentists, which is what it is now called, together and in Massachusetts, basically educating and understanding dentistry and getting the legal part so that we can have an equal seat at the table and even further. So we're going to learn a lot more. It's been a pleasure getting to know her over there. Let me give you some background. She's a sweetheart. She originates from Oxford, Massachusetts, where she graduated valedictorian from Oxford High School. So I'm over my head, folks, right away. All right, let's just call it what it is. She obtained a BA cum laude in biology from University of Rochester. So she's familiar with Wegmans, as we were talking mm -hmm. offline, and has a DDS from the University of Maryland, also with honors. During dental school, she performed research on salivary glands at the NI National Institute of Dental Research in Bethesda, Maryland. After graduation, Dr. Tansy worked in private practice for three years in the Philadelphia area before returning to Ope to Massachusetts to open the dentist, the dentist at Hopping, Hopkinton. Hopkinton, mm -hmm. did I get it? Yeah. Hopkinton in 2003, the year Syracuse won the national championship, I'll say. Mm -hmm. She also is a student of the Midwest Implant Institute outside of Columbus, Ohio. She was a volunteer, also helping to pass question two in Massachusetts, which I hope most of you know about. If you haven't, we're going to learn a little bit today. She is president and one of the founding members of the Alliance of Independent Dentists. Please welcome Dr. Jill Tanzi. Jill, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Sunny, for having me. So excited to talk to you and get you on the podcast. I know we've talked a lot of different times over the years with all the things that have gone on, you and Christine and, and, and some of the great people that you guys have really collectively put together and Ultimately, I think and I hope that dentists understand this is better for dentistry and for dentists. So right. talk a little bit about what you got going on with your Alliance of Independent Dentists. So we were formed in Massachusetts, originally under the name of Massachusetts Dentist Alliance. Yes, in, I remember that. Um, 2017 in response to uh, Delta Dental sending us terrible contracts. So we we just lobbied the government here, testified. Um, we just showed up for dentists in Massachusetts, and um, we think we made some change. And um, now we have like a little lull with bills in our state. And we thought, what are we what are we going to do now? Um, there's nothing for us to do here. Let's um, open this up to the the nation. And let's start to educate dentists and the public why it's important to remain independent. And independent dentists aren't um, necessarily fee-for-service dentists. They can right. be any type of business model, but they own their practices or they work for a dentist that owns the practice. 
um, which is really important to us and um, that, you know, our name, Alliance of Independent Dentists. Okay. So like, like we talked about, we talked a little bit before we started the show and we talked a little bit about, you know, ownership, right? And what determines ownership. And if you think about it, I remember this as, a, as an associate in a practice. And they're like, well, if you can buy in, you have equity in, 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 in an asset. So what does that do that allows you to borrow against? He kind of explained a few things to me. But in the end, you have control over your business, hopefully a little bit of your own. You know, we'll call it destiny, um, the direction of the practice. And, and there's so many different models, like you said. So you've got Bob D who runs a dentistry and general dentist dentistry and general group. He's not a fee for service doctor, but he is in full ownership, full control over his practice. Even our good friend, Marty, Stephen Mautner, he has a completely different insurance based model, but he owns his practice independent, you know? So it's, it's doesn't have to be a fee for service group or fee for service model. Like you said, to run the business, but, but talk a little bit, cause you are a fee for service doc. Let's, let's talk about when you went in and you opened up your practice in 2003. Now you had worked for three years. Mm -hmm. What was that work experience? Like, was that in a fee for service office? Um, no, I worked in a PPO office in downtown Philadelphia. And, um, actually they only took maybe a, a couple of plans. Um, so it's close. But I also worked in a DSO model um, outside of Philadelphia, and um, I happened to join that practice right after it, the owners sold it to the DSO. And the DSO oh, was okay, so you were in the early stages of the practice conversion. Yeah, that way had back. To be interesting. Early two thousand. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting. We saw staff leave; they cut their salaries. Um, I just saw this practice basically tank in front of my eyes. So um, it was terrible. Um, so I knew I never wanted to do that. And while I was there, I tried to learn how to run the business and how do you do insurance claims. And I spent my time, my free time, um, figuring these things out. But um, yeah, so when we say independent, we don't mean independent from insurance. We mean independent you own the practice or, you know, some dentist owns this practice that's involved. Right. Okay. So, but your experience now, you worked for that, that DSO converting practice, right? Mm -hmm. But your other practice that was established, you said it had participated with a few plants mm -hmm. and you started to learn, what were some of the things that you were picking up on in, in terms of uh, incorporating them into your practice today? What were some things you thought were very important? Like you said, how do they submit claims? Talk talk a little bit more of the other little things that so many times we're focused on, you know, class two prep and this prep, et cetera, et cetera. But talk about what you were picking up. So in the PPO office, they had it pretty much down. They had the same employees for years. They were just kind of rolling along, processing everything like it should be. And then the DSO model, I would go down in the basement. There'd be a stack of claims that had not been entered <laughs> right it was just like there was such disconnect because the manager they had a manager in that practice but the people that owned that practice weren't there so 
you know, nobody had a great um, incentive to be getting their work done. And I'm sure there's DSOs that are well-oiled machines, but in the end, private equity owns a lot of DSOs. Um, we don't think business people should have control over medical practices at all. Um, there's a huge conflict there. And, uh, well, you know, I remember going to dental it's legal. Yeah, I remember going to dental school and I remember them saying, listen, dentistry is, and, and at that time, optometry was becoming chains, right? So Sterling Optical and USA Optical and all these, you know, all of a sudden, so optometry, which used to go to see, you know, Joe's eyeglasses and Joe was the optometrist and, you know, et cetera, was all changing. That model was, well, now it's in malls and now it's open on, you know, Sundays and it was more convenient, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And pharmacies, same thing was going on there. So they said, no, dentistry will never be like that because dentistry has to be owned by a dentist. And I was like, oh, that's really, that's really a good thing to know. Then when this started to come about, I just kept saying to myself, how is this possible that these things can arise? And now you've got Wall Street or whatever you want to call the corporate private equity side now has targeted dentistry. And how is that possible? Well, it's um, it's legal to let a dentist run the practice, um, they call them owners, they're not really owners, they can't sell the practice. Um, I think there was a case in Florida um, a while back, and I'll have to find it, um, where the owners actually ended up taking over the practice because they were the ones that were in control. So I don't know if that will ever happen to more DSOs, but, um, so they have You're to use someone an owner, <laughs> but they they have to use someone's license, right? Right. So those people with the licenses took over the practice, even though you know I don't know if they had to buy it back or what, but um, it it's just so phony to me that you know you could be going to a practice as a patient and you don't know who the owner is. It's you should know this. It should have to be published on a website. Right. Um, I don't know why it's not, but um, it's just trickery in, in my view. And I feel like independent dentists need their own group. Um, the ADA represents everybody. They represent DSOs. DSOs have a huge influence on the ADA right now. Yes, and they do. Yeah. So they have, um, I forget what it's called, the ADSO, Association of DSOs. Um, they have their own group. We need our own group. We're still the majority. And we need to educate each other about why you might not want to sell your practice to a DSO. If the DSO really wants to buy your practice, it's probably a very valuable practice. And you should try to sell it to another dentist. Um, you have to start early, but um, you know, it's it's not always financially beneficial to sell to a DSO either. And we're gonna have um Christine come on and talk about that um on our Facebook page. I think these things are really important. There's a lot of trickery out there. Um, right. You need to be an astute business owner. And let's say you own a business and you're sick of owning this business. You still want to practice. You don't want to leave your practice. Don't sell to a DSO necessarily. Hire a business manager, outsource some things, um, make it so it's easier on yourself. You know, what's really funny is Bob D mentioned this too. And I, I've seen this happen 
unfortunately i've had friends involved in this too because you <laughs> dentists of a certain age get on the target list right so mm -hmm. i hit 60 last year so I, I I'm a target and I've had plenty of conversations with different, different companies and different things. And I have my own opinion on that, but one of the things they'll do is we'll take, we'll just use some examples. Let's say you, you have a, let's just say a $2 million practice and the net of the practice, let's say is, let's say it's 800,000. Okay. So it's 60% overhead, take home 800 total profit of, of that. And the per and they'll come in and they'll offer that person you know three million dollars for the practice. Well, if that person were to sell it to another per another entity, let's say they're going to be able to sell it to on the market to another dentist. Let's let's just say, let's see, they're offered three million, and let's say they can get let's say they can get two x net. So let's say they can get one six. We'll call it one five one five. If they sell it to a dentist, now they're going to get one five. Okay. Kind of no ifs, ands, or buts. Okay. Mm -hmm. The person that's selling to a DSO 3 million, they may get, uh, let's say they get 40%. Let's say they get a third of that money up front. Let's say they get a million. Okay. And then the other million, or the other 2 million, they're going to be at over the co course of three years. Now you're also going to work for them at a lower percent. So, Let's say as a result, your income goes down from, let's say it's 500 grand. Let's say it goes down to 250. So you're going to give back 250 a year in less earned income for those three years that you're contracted. So you've already given back 750 and you really haven't got all that money up front. So in the end, the dollars are going to either be pretty similar or maybe even more beneficial to sell it to a young or not a young, but a, a a dentist that's not a corporate entity, and I, I mean I could I could write down more. These are just off the top of my head, right. but that's how it that's how it works. And then I've I've seen and I know of a fact if they say, oh, you know what, there was something in your accounting that we didn't like. Later, we're gonna drop that, and it's not gonna be the three that we said. It's gonna be two because there was some you know, I don't know, a fuzzy math, whatever you want to call it, but they they can do that up to a certain mm -hmm. point and take it back. So the contract is written so favorable for the purchaser that the purchasee, you're really not going to get 3 million like you thought. And now if you've spread it over three years, what is it, what is it worth? And what did you actually come up with? And what did you give back? Three years is a long time to work for someone too. Correct. And you're giving back a lot. People for you know, people you don't take that into account and you have to, you know. Right. So it's it's an it's an interesting model. So I, I gotta ask you, you've probably heard or had some folks that have had similar experiences. Do you want to share any of those? Yeah, well, you know, actually Christine probably a lot more than I do. I mean, I've heard of these same problems. I've heard of someone selling their practice to private dentist and then turning around and selling to DSO, which is really heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stories out there. Christine has an excellent um, presentation about all the research she did, but a lot of these people can't really even talk about it because they sign non-disclosure agreements. Right. So you have to understand that the few stories you've heard, multiply that by 10. Like these people don't talk. They're, they're not allowed to talk. I, I got another good one for this is a close friend of mine. 
at the end of the first year, he, you know, at the end of the first year of employment, he had a number to hit. If he hit that number, he got, you know, a quote bonus, right? Well, all of a sudden, in December, collections slowed down almost to a grinding halt. Yeah, they stopped entering the checks. <laughs> and he, you know, of course, he missed the number by, let's say it was supposed to be a million. It came out to be $990,000. Well, no bonus. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you ask about it, oh, oh you know, it's, you know, something is software and, and it's, it's, it's as dirty as it comes and it, yeah. and it, it comes down to follow the money. Right? right. So if we can do that, upset you for a little bit, we keep the 200 grand that we should have paid you. Yeah. So That's- I think there's, I think there's groups like ours, um, all around the country. I know there's one in Kansas. There was one in Washington state. You know, Bob D has his own little group going. Um, what we want to do is we want to have a platform for everybody to collaborate um, on the Facebook page. You don't have to be a member, a paid member. You can just be an independent dentist. Come on there. Let's all collaborate. Um, but we also do have a members, membership option where you can go into our website, maybe watch some of our old videos. We're going to try to publish everything on there. But what we want to do, we have some money because, um, you know, we've been around six years. We're going to do a pilot uh, program in Massachusetts to start where we do a public PR campaign to educate the public about seeing independent dentists, people that own their practices. Um, You know, maybe you don't want to see a corporate dentist. I mean, we're going to be tasteful about it, but we're going to have a website where we drive patients to our website and have a directory of all the independent dentists. And then our members can use our logo um, on their websites. And we just want to create like a national campaign of awareness. Hey, you know, these dentists own their practices. It's not Wall Street. Right. And, and think, think about a small like town. That. Think about a small town like where we where I practice in smaller areas, right? Yes. Your this is our this is our community. The money goes into and stays in our community, right? So if there's yeah. profits, who do you think is sponsoring this, and who do you think right. is donating to this, and where do you think all that's coming from? It's not happening if it's corporate. You know that's well, it could be, but I think it's less likely to happen. Less likely said. they don't. You know they don't have a vested interest. They don't live and breathe there, right? Like I do. Right. You know. And my all my partners and all my docs and all all people that work work in our team are all part of the community, you know. So we want to be a contributing part of the community. And so we can explain this to our patients. We're our, you know, best marketing is each individual dental practice. You have a lot of patients. Educate your patients. What is an independent dentist? Um, we're not owned by an outside group. Um, we're the owners and um spread the word with your friends and look for our logo and you know these things matter now is there any way for the different states to uh like you know different groups that you said that are Mm -hmm. similar or like-minded to form a larger mother group um i think this will be the mother group if um everyone's willing we'd like to be the mother group and a lot of politics is local so you do need a local group to lobby on your behalf at the state house um or even if you don't have lobbyists you could you know contact your legislators that happens more on a local level i don't think we'll ever be able to compete on a national level with insurance companies um their budget's just huge 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe someday, but I think the goal is to let's collaborate as the Alliance of Independent Dentists, no matter what you're calling your organization. Um, you know, we're an alliance, so and we'll be in charge of the PR campaign for now. Like we'll do this for everyone if people join. Now, break down question two and and the kind of the landmark uh, movement or decision ultimately that worked. Talk a little bit about the history behind that and then what that actually is. So question two is the um, dental loss ratio where insurers, at least in our state, are mandated to pay 83% of premiums towards patient care. What was it before? Uh, what was it before? Not regulated. Not regulated. So do you, what were the stats though? Was it like 50%? Did, did, did you have any of that information? So if you are a, um, if you are a nonprofit, you can see those numbers. And I really can't remember, but I think Delta was between 60 to 70%, maybe uh-huh. somewhere in there. But all these for profits, you can't see those numbers. So that's another thing question two does. It makes the government see the numbers. So it can be regulated. Um, unfortunately, our state has not even come out with the regulations yet, and they're overdue. They should have been out last year. Um, so okay. we're kind of in this limbo. Um, so a couple of key points. The first thing was, um, what did you call it? The ratio profit? Um, so the dental loss ratio, dental similar loss to medical ratio. loss ratio. Okay. So an insurance company will have to spend 83% of all the money they collect as premiums towards patient care. So if they collect a million dollars, $830,000 should go to dental care. Right. Right. Which seems fair. I mean, they're just processing claims. So the hundred and seventy million is theirs to keep for their administration costs, right? Right. Okay. But what gets hairy, and I was part of a group testifying to the division of insurance here, that what they allow them to deduct in the um, or add to the numerator. So things that aren't patient care, like improvement, like all these BS things that aren't patient care to manipulate the number. So mm-hmm. this is what we're waiting for in Massachusetts. We're waiting to see what is the regulation um, for this law? Like what are the regulations? What, how are they gonna hold insurance companies accountable? Um, right, so they can claim that fixing their sidewalk outside their building goes to patient care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. In the meantime, the ADA and um, NCOIL and the National Association of Dental Plans came up with their own model regulations, which seems to be a disaster. Um, uh, Bob D had a special on this last night, and uh, I don't know. I'm still processing it. <laughs> yeah, NCOIL. I saw. I saw some information. There's just. So, there's so much. That's what I'm just trying to simplify. Remember, you're valedictorian. I wasn't. So I'm going to need you to simplify for me a little bit more how mm-hmm. some of these things lay out, right? And what the, what the actual, what it actually means. So on the surface, the bottom line is more money that's collected should be going back to, into direct patient care. Right. And the regulations at the state level should help define what's patient care and what's BS politely. Right. And you need 
pretty strict regulations to make this work because people can cook their books or yeah of course they can yeah now this is strictly dental insurance company what about some of these um like uh they're not really regulated by erisa mm -hmm. like in new york, new york state we have csea which is a lot of new york state um employees have civil service employee and so they don't follow the laws like you can't turn anything into the insurance commissioner if they do some funny business because they don't follow the laws of the right. insurance. Does this fall underneath that or is it the same type of guideline? Um, yeah, so I think ERISA plans um, don't follow these types of legislation, but I think they still have to report. Okay. I think, I'm not the expert. Mo Rizkala is the okay. expert on all the laws, but you know, there's still a significant amount of plans that don't fall under ERISA. Right. So you're asking, essentially, the law is now asking, let's say you mentioned Delta, Delta, Cigna, Guardian, you know, BOS insurance, whatever. Mm -hmm. All these companies now have to supply the data, the actual mm -hmm. data. Right. Yeah, their and, financial data. And, and, and the regulations is, this is the accounting that you need to use to arrive to that? Is that what you're talking about? Um. No, I, I think it's just supply us with your numbers and then the government will set regulations if they can. ERISA plans are self-funded, so they're self-funded um, by the company or the government or mm -hmm. um, and they don't really fall under those laws. It's pretty hairy. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, there's gray areas all over the place, right? <laughs> yeah. That's 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 where people can live, you know. But, you know, when you think about dental insurance, it's not really insurance. Um, it is, but it's it's not like medical insurance. So there's a maximum. So these companies know what their liability is going to be in that worst case scenario, right? Right. Whereas medical insurance, um, there's no cap. It's, mm -hmm. it's a different type of insurance. So... Yeah. Like if you sell 100 policies that have a thousand dollar yearly maximum, you might come out of pocket for a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, not the valedictorian, but I figure that out hundred. Right. So, you know, so that's like you said, they understand here, here's, here's our number, right. Worst mm -hmm. case scenario. As we all know, the usage of dental insurance is nowhere near fully used. A lot of people have it, don't even use it. So, you know, that's a misnomer. What about some of these other plans that are like these uh, capitation plans or these HMO plans? I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Right. No, it doesn't matter because if you think about it and you compare it to medical insurance, 83%, it should be like 90%. It, there's not much work to this, you know? It's it's just shuffling papers around. It's It's not... It's not well, like you got to have somebody there to deny the claim. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 pretty it's pretty funny. They spend so much time on on this, uh, the government, but it it's it, it just should be more straightforward and easy. Right. But it's not because Common it's sense. complex, easy to hide things. So, sure. yeah, they don't want it simple They're more complex. And we can you know, we can find these little gray areas where we can live, you know? 
So let me ask you this. This is completely out of left field, but does AI have any place in this artificial intelligence? Dental claims or insurance or? Either way. Yeah. Like the dental, the reporting or the collecting, any of that kind of stuff. Um, so for when I think of AI, I think of, okay, send in your x-rays for claims. We're going to measure the bone loss. We're going to measure right. if there's a cavity. But we all know that x-rays don't show everything and they're two-dimensional. And um, so that's where I see dental insurers wanting to use AI. Sure. You know, helping to, to reject save. more claims. Um, right. To save them revenue. Right. So I'm a little skeptical of AI for that use. Um, honestly, I've used AI to try to write things and I don't think it's that good. <laughs> Well, it dehumanizes. I think I can tell if something's written by AI yeah. as well. <laughs> you definitely can. You definitely, yeah. definitely can. There's no doubt about it. And I was, uh, I was writing an article for um, a magazine about a product review, and I had written it the way I would write it. You know, almost the way I speak. You know, I think has certain way about it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the approved version. I was like, this doesn't look like anything I wrote. And it, was a, it, it was it was a whitewashed version of it and i'm sure it went through some ai thing and i was like take my name off it and then we we rewrote it again i had some help from Ankur gupta but you know it's just it's amazing where it's being slipped in and used in, in all kinds of places like you like your first thought is well it's used for bad right you know mm -hmm. in, in this scenario for the patient they're going to deny them claims and that's, you know, that's my first thinking. But if, if it's helping analyze the data would be my thought and to somehow collectively make insurance ABCD have some uniformity in their accounting procedures, mm -hmm. then that would be a good thing. It would be, but ultimately they have to enter that data. So it's still the same insurance company. Mm -hmm. entering data i don't think ai is that good yet like mm -hmm. i don't know if it could do that um yeah well the one question i had was <laughs> to, to your point right it's more than it's more than what you see on an x-ray right and that's that's right. one of the biggest things that i have posted a million things about like you see this x-ray what do you see not much look at this oh my okay so my, I mean, we've, my all, we've all like gone into a tooth right you can't see the decay on an x-ray but you see with your eye right you see that the, the enamel's changed or you see a shadow, you can't see yeah. it on the x-ray. You just can't. Yeah. Um, what do you do? Wait till you can see it on the x-ray? <laughs> right. So that it's paid for, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the one thing I had to the AI folks like that gave the presentation on the x-rays, I said, what if that, that little spot that you have in a color of pink, which is, you know, a slight change to the enamel, and now I open this up and it's blown out, can I go back to the software and say, listen, what you say is pink should be black or whatever, purple, whatever color means large cavity, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, we don't have that capability yet. So it's not really a learning, you know, it's not really evolving like, mm -hmm. like the GPS, right? You put the GPS in your car and it assumes you're going to drive 55 miles an hour. And then after four times you've driven at 80 miles an hour, it starts telling you, listen, you're going to get there faster because they know your driving habits. Mm -hmm. It seems like we should be able to do the same with this, right? Right, right.
yeah. should be should be evolving so that you make it better, more accurate. Maybe the imaging needs to evolve. Like it's just not right. Good enough, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's got it, somehow it has to be has to be some human input into what's actual versus what appears like you know like that the, the message on the mirror things are larger than they appear yes they are right. so talk about your practice and okay fever service you started in 2003 what were some of the challenges that you had when you opened and started your practice with your model given the the climate in 2003 too in massachusetts so back in 2003 i signed up with uh delta Premier and um, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. It was called Dental Blue. Okay. These were the higher paying plans in Massachusetts. So you were in network then? Okay. I was in network in 2003. And um, over time, you know, it wasn't bad. And then over time, they just stopped increasing um, what they were paying. They were becoming more of a nuisance about, you know, what they were covering. So... I think probably around 2017 when Delta was really going to slash our rates like 30%. Um, I said, I'd already been thinking about it. Like maybe I need to get out of the insurance game because I just, I'm taking less and less, more write-offs, more write-offs, more write-offs. Um, so I just started to research it and found fee-for-service podcast at some point. And um, I had a de dental consultant before 2017, Sandy Pardue. Yeah. And I was complaining about insurance. And she's like, Jill, remember, you can't work for zero. You should never work for zero. And that stuck with me. And then, you know, looking at my numbers, so I have to do this. I'm going to just research the heck out of it. Um, talk to different consultants. And then finally, the pandemic before I decided to do it before the pandemic. So so let me let me. Yeah. So what it for in 2017, what it forced you to do was really, really, really understand yeah. the numbers then, right? Well, yeah. And I knew they were going to cut more at that point. So I had to get out of network. Um, no, but I'm saying but you really had to. So when she said you can't work for nothing, you had to yeah. determine, am I working for nothing? Right? Yeah, and just I was. <laughs> right, I mean, but there's a lot of folks, I think that over time, you just get kind of comfortable doing things. Why do we do them? We do them the You want to be busy, right? Yeah. All dentists panic when you have a hole in your schedule. But let me tell you, when you're free for service and you have a hole in your schedule, you can get a coffee and you don't feel guilty because you're still making good money and you're profitable. The profitability matters. It's right. not how hard you're busting your butt and how busy you are. Um, you need to enjoy what you do and um, jumping from chair to chair to chair is not really enjoyable for me at least. Um, yeah, I wanna help you. I wanna do a good job. I know I can't do a good job if I'm rushing. Right, so 2017, you look at your numbers and you're like, whoa, we're yeah. either at cost or, or, you know, above cost. You know, some things were still fine, but, you know, you want to be profitable on every procedure you do, not right. guessing, what is this profitable? Is this not profitable? Should I be doing this procedure in my practice? Should I do an extraction or send it to the oral surgeon? Because I don't want to lose money on this extraction, you know? So take take the one insurance plan you just mentioned, right? So in, yeah. in, before my previous question, you said, let's say they were at a 70% like 70% was going to benefits, they're going to drop 
the reimbursements by 30%. So that ratio of 70 right in and yeah. you know, or 70 out and 30 in is going to change dramatically. It's probably going to go to 50, 50. If you're dropping 30%. Well, yeah, they're not decreasing their, um, the their premiums aren't going down. Yeah, yeah. Premiums are going up. So that's amazing. So, yeah. so I, my goal was 2021 January to be out of network with Delta. And, um, when the pandemic hit my, my father-in-law is an economist. He's an old guy, yeah. <laughs> Harvard trained economist. And he's like, Jill, there's going to be massive inflation. There's going to be massive inflation. And I thought, holy crap, I got to get out of this sooner, but I only ended up pushing it up a couple of months. Um, I got out in 2020, November, okay. a little bit scary because of pandemic, no, so many unknowns, but best thing I ever did. Um, was, was there a letter? Did a letter I did not come write out? a letter. No, did a letter come out from the insurance company to the patients? So it's funny. I thought, no, it didn't. Cause I never heard of anyone telling me a letter went out. And then I hired um, an associate. And she's like, we got a letter. <laughs> so they do, they send letters. Um, not all the time. It may not be every employer, but her husband happened to work at the biggest employer in town. So he did get a letter. Did, did you read it? Like, did it look like, again? I never saw it. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, this is after the fact. I hired her later. Um, you know, just encourage them to find a, a doctor that's in network. So, right. so I think that's typical, right? What was your practice? Do you have any idea what your percent was in that insurance when you dropped your your totally? How 42%, much was percent? Forty two percent. So just round it up to fifty. So one out of every other patient walked <laughs> no, in. Forty. Yeah. <laughs> right. So no, just to simple. Right. So just yeah. to, just yeah, to yeah. grasp it. Right. So if I have six hygiene patients, three of them are in plan. Yeah. Okay. So that's got to be scary. And you go, you're committed to doing this and you do it. What did you find happen? I found that we just put other patients in their spots um, and they don't all leave at once. So they, they leave over time and some of them come back and you're always getting new patients. So um, we still had a busy hygiene schedule. There was really nothing to be afraid of. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you see... And I think you have to get over the fact of seeing holes in your schedule because you mentioned that right. too. Right. But I knew half those patients didn't need to be there and holes isn't bad gotcha. because holes is a night guard. I can put a night guard, my hygienist can scan. Um, holes can be other things. Doesn't have to be a hygiene patient and hygienists can do other things. They can see emergencies um, and often it's higher revenue procedures. So yeah. Okay more scaling and replaning. Now there's places to book it. We couldn't even book them before. What did your revenue look like in terms of, uh, okay, let's say your revenue is at X. You start November, you're going to, you're going to go out of, out of network. Did it go X minus this or did it go X or X plus? What did you 12 see? 12% up. Huh? 12% up. 12% up. And you probably say maybe 20% less busy. No, no, maybe no? 5%. Well, five five percent. Okay. Maybe five to 10%. Okay. Um, but not even, I, it, it may have been zero. <laughs> it, it, we but, we're just a busy practice. Um, but you're working we're one smart. Of the biggest practices in the area. And, uh -huh. um, one of the things that I regretted, um, didn't really make a difference too much, but 
I think a lot of practices do this. You have to up your marketing. Like I didn't do it, um, but it, it really helps. Um, Josh talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. You really of, get that in place before you do it. Now you said you were in Delta blue. Did you drop them too in the same time or what? Pencil blue. Um, no, we dropped them in 2022, I believe. So after. Yeah. What um, was a smaller that number percentage. Like? Huh? Um, so it's a smaller percentage of what we have, uh, maybe like 13% of the patients were wow. dental. So of all the people I've interviewed, most everybody would say, okay, we're going to drop the smaller one first. Yeah. It's kind of our, we're going to go in the shallow end first before we jump <laughs> into the deep end. Right. Well, but, I was worried about inflation. So I went for the big one and yeah, <laughs> but, but the, my point is right. There's no right pathway if you're committed no. to doing it and you understand your why right. now did you get some pushback from your team no i i i i spent two years prepping my team like i was just really it, it may have been overkill um and you know a lot of team members change too but i think it, patients and staff members have some clue that you know insurance is not 100% on their side now. I think when I started practicing people liked and trusted insurance more. Now they all these people have high deductibles. They're paying a lot of money out of pocket even though they have insurance. So no one really likes insurance. So it, you know it makes it a lot easier to drop insurance when no one likes insurance. Gotcha. So they become less addicted to their insurance. Right. Right. Okay. So yeah. All so right. after all of this, um, I forgot the number after I dropped Blue Cross, but yeah, we were we were up a lot after we got out of both plans, and you know my salary probably my take home doubled. So just because we're more profitable now. Let me ask you this part now. What about the daily task sheet that is done at your office in terms of, um insurance follow-up follow-through do you still like copay and still build the insurance directly for your for your patients how, how do you administer your fee-for-service practice so we don't consider ourselves fee-for-service we consider ourselves out of network out of network yeah same here yeah um, we take copays um yeah. we research every single plan so if your plan pays you directly we take your the entire amount up front we still process the claims. If we know that your insurance is going to pay us, then we just take your co-payment. But we are very transparent. We let people know ahead of time. Even when we went out of um, network, we call the patient two weeks ahead and say, you know, just want to remind you, you're going to have to pay up front for this visit. Remind them why. And um, I think patients, it always goes better if you just are totally transparent. You never want to try to trick anybody. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, the next part, which you just brought up in Massachusetts, is there a law that if a patient wants the check to go to a provider, the check has to go to the provider or no? Yeah. Yeah. It's New York's the same way. Yeah. And Delta is the big one. Like Delta, no matter what, if you're not in network, the check goes to the patient, even though if the patient wants the check to come to you. Right. And our group had a, we've sponsored, we've um, had a bill 
for years now, assignment of benefits, yeah. it's not going anywhere in Massachusetts. The lobby for the insurance company is just too strong. So that's part of the reason why we're done with that for the year. Yeah, but and, well, to me, what what's the difference to to the, to, to the to the to the to the uh, insurance company? What is the difference? Whether you said oh, there's a huge difference. No, it helps them keep people in network because they're so afraid, right? That the patient can't afford the payment up front. But everyone well, has no, credit no. cards. But if, <laughs> but if I'm insurance company B and I write a check for a hundred dollars and I send it to my subscriber or I send it to their provider, I'm still sending a hundred dollar check. Right. That doesn't matter. But what matters is they want to keep people in network. So this type of um, procedure benefit. Yeah. It keeps people. Uh, it keeps dentists in network because they're scared to ask their patient to pay upfront for the entire cost. And it is hard um, some people, maybe they can't afford a crown, the full payment up front. So I get it, but, um, you know, some insurance plans still pay the office. So if you keep agreeing to all these bad rules, then, yeah. you know, we only have ourselves to blame. Right. And then also the mindset, right? Well, if you stay in network or if you go see a doctor in network, you don't have to worry about it. The check's going to go to them. Yeah. Going to go to them. Right? And so it's it's a mindset too. They're, they want they want to create the addiction and dependency, right? Mm -hmm. And like you said, you're starting to break that. I have some interesting data from my practice about this, and I maybe I checked this six months ago. So Delta Dental, they have um, there's dental Delta Dental of Massachusetts. They always send the check to the patient, so those like patients always have to pay up front. Yep. So when I went out of network, 80% of my patients were Delta Dental of Massachusetts. 20% of my patients have employers outside the state. So they might be Delta Dental of California, yeah, yeah. Dental of New York, wherever. And those 20%, there's a good portion of them that still pay the office. So we didn't want to make a blanket statement for all Deltas. We check each policy. And you do a better retention of patients where they pay the office. So we didn't want to say everyone had to pay up front. Um, and I think that's key. You you don't want to just treat everyone the same. You do, but you don't want to, in the insurance game here, you want to make sure you know what the plan is going to do. Knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. Okay. Yeah. So... And, and, and kind of in wrapping up, Jill, how about um, what are some of the key things that you've learned, key mistakes maybe that you've made, albeit transitioning, what have you? What are some things you want to share with everybody? Well, I think we talked about, um, you know, when I went out of network, not having the marketing plan. Mm -hmm. That was a mistake. <laughs> um, luckily, it didn't affect me, but I thought, Boy, what was I doing? So we do have a pretty robust marketing plan now. Um, I'm a little older. I don't like doing the social media stuff, but hopefully having some young blood in the practice will get some of that going. Um, so there's, I don't feel like I've made a ton of mistakes. Um, do you mean with um, independent dentistry or? 
you take your pick independent <laughs> the independent alliance or in in your practice right i think i'm um, in the independent dentistry um probably you know spending a lot of time lobbying or talking to your representatives it's worthwhile maybe not spend too much time on it if the insurance lobby is so strong in your state because it's just kind of a dead end in a way. Um, you definitely wanna bring awareness because if, if you don't, they think nothing's wrong. So maybe if you do, there'll be some pushback to some bad laws. And But um, I think as an organization, you know, we may have spent a little too much time on that um but you know speaking up does help we did stop mid-level mid providers in the state and um, i definitely have to give credit to our organization for that because our own dental society here supported um mid-level providers so and we got them to change their minds okay so now where does the massachusetts state dental association stand on any of these things um I think we're lucky right now. We have President Abe Abdul and, you know, he was a big proponent of question two. So they ultimately did support question two. Um, now they do not support mid-level providers, which is great. So I think they're headed in the right direction. Um, they got to listen to the majority of their, you know, paid members are independent dentists. Gotcha. Well, I, I love what you guys are doing. I, I, well, both of you sold me on you personally, both of you and Christine. I thought you two were just total winners. And I'm right. I, I'm right again. I'm, I'm right. Total winners. I get it. I, I would listen to you just, just str strictly almost blind faith at this point, just because you guys really know what you're doing. And it's, a, it's a, you know, it's with intention, but it's also with knowledge. And I think that's probably the biggest message that you said is educating and teaching people and having them learn you're not going to tell people what to do but i think once a person has their facts or their knowledge probably the decision is a little bit easier mm -hmm. and that's why we need to collaborate yes um you know state and nationwide yeah there's all these groups like learn from us we'll let you know yeah. what we did wrong and yeah. what you can do to make things better in your state um you know, things aren't always what they appear. You have to show up and see for yourself what's going on. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to go down the path that medicine did, or pharmacy, or yeah. or optical. I don't. I don't want to go that route myself. It's, so, you know, it's not good for us, and it's not good for patients. We not all know how it feels. Well, we know how it feels to go to the doctor, right? Like, yeah, I love my doctor, but if I can see him, I'm lucky. <laughs> well, yeah, but look, I have what's, to be a nurse practitioner, I have to see a PA. Look you know, what's happened to our our trust in the public. You know, we used to be the number one trusted professional source and now we're way down, mm -hmm. you know, we're down the list, you know, eight or nine, you know, and it's, I, I hope to, I hope that we can at least respect our profession and get it back to a higher understanding of respectability in all of our communities. Right. So, totally agree. I think you're on the right path now. Um, final, how do people get in touch with you? How do people find you? I know you talked about Facebook, but again, it's the Alliance of Independent Dentists. Yeah. If you search Facebook, that'll pop up. Um, I think we're the only one Alliance of Independent Dentists. Um, just 
join, please let us know where you practice. It makes it a lot easier for us to vet you. Um, you have to be a dentist. You have to be an independent dental dentist owner or work for one. Um, these are important because, you know, why are you there if, if you're not? This is all about independent dentistry. Um, and then just stay tuned because our website's coming out next week and uh, we want to get that directory built so that we can, you know, drive patients to our practices and just have a huge PR campaign across the nation about why it's important to see a dentist or a doctor that is not owned by Wall Street. Good point. People want to reach you, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I, I hope I don't tear this up, but the dentist at Hopkinton. Yep. That's the name of the practice. That's the name of the practice. It's uh, www.hopdent.com. Hopdent. I could have said that one. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> right now, our organization, um, our email is info at aid-ma.org um, we're probably getting a new one since we're trying to be a national organization but um, those are really great places you can reach me um, and then if you join the group you can always just send me a message on the um, facebook it's really easy folks this is quality jill is quality christine's quality they're great people and, and you can it just comes through it's authentic and uh i i just got on your Facebook group. I got an invitation. I think you sent it to me or Christine, someone you sent it to me. So I will pass that along to a whole bunch of other folks. I think uh, what you're doing is great and it's long overdue and needed. And I like the cord the fact that there could be more coordination across mm -hmm. states. Just, I think we need this. I think, uh, you know, we need the ability to have a voice and have a, a platform to understand and educate. So I'm in. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sonny. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee-for-Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.